<sighs> wow, really, I had expected, like Pastor Danny said, that it will be less people in the congregation today, you know, because I thought, oh, it's going to be, everyone will be away for holiday. Maybe we have the first three pews just filled up. It'll just be a cozy group, you know, because <laughs> you know, everyone's on holiday. So I was telling God, God, give me a holiday message. Is there a holiday message? Be merry and have fun. Let's have something like that today. You know, uh, but God had something else in mind. I'm going to be preaching from the Old Testament, Pastor Danny, who is, which is very exciting. Excuse me, right? Exactly. Yeah, it is. That's right. Yes, it is going to be very exciting. I'm going to be preaching on the book of Joshua, chapter 3, verse 1, to chapter 4, verse 5. Just, just these 15 verses. And the title of my sermon is, God is doing something. God is doing something. Turn to the person next to you and say, God is doing something. That's right. You know, this passage, you know, has really spoken to me. It has really spoken to me in a time of my life where things were changing very radically in my life in that season, just nine years ago. And, you know, statistics and psychologists say that if you want to make radical change in your life, any decision that you make, if it's a major change, you cannot have too many within a short period of time. Meaning within a year or less than two years, you cannot have too many radical change in my life. And nine years ago, there were many, many radical changes in my life. What had happened then? And nine years ago, I had decided to respond to my full-time call, and I told God, I will serve you full-time. So I had quit my job of two years in a public relations firm, and I said, God, I will serve you full-time. And since then, I had gone to Bible school, and less than two years after, I mean, immediately after I went to Bible school, I, went, I got married to Roger, who is the worship leader today. Um, and then, four months after, I got pregnant, uh, unexpectedly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Don't be too. Ignore that, please. <laughs> yeah. So, in in less than two years, I had major life-changing, radical things happen in my life. I went full time. I got married. I got pregnant, I became a, a mother for the very first time, and I had moved homes two times in, that, in a period of less than two years. If you know me personally, I'm a person who doesn't like change. I hate change. If possible, I want to stay where I am forever and ever. You know, I had lived, I was born in Tamantun, my, mom, my mom's home, right? And I've lived there all my life. I've never moved before. You know, and my parents still live there. Um, and if I have it my way, I would just like to stay there and curled up in my bed, you know, and with the comforter over, we're in a familiar place where everything is predictable, you know, and that's me. I, I, love, being, like, I love being able to predict what's ahead of me, and I like the familiar. How many of you are like that? Like me, you hate change. Change really stresses you out, Right? That's me. I really don't like change. But in that period of time, nine years ago, all these things happened in less 
than two years, and it really shook my world. I really held on to this passage and it had really seen me through a very challenging time of my life. And I like to pick up where Pastor Vincent had just preached. How many of you were here two weekends ago? That's right. Pastor Vincent had, had um, just um, preached on a, a message titled, Time to Move. Time to Move. And I thought that was such an appropriate and um, timely message because we had just moved from Maranatha Hall to Hall 1. You know, and I believe that it wasn't just a physical change. The decision wasn't that it was because of aesthetic reasons that we're here. It wasn't because of logistical reasons that we're here. But we're going to believe that even as we step into Hall 1, you know, there is a new season ahead where God is going to, we're able to experience God with a fresh encounter and a fresh season ahead of us, even as we have taken on this position to move and decision to move. Right, and so what Pastor Vincent had preached about was when God had challenged the Israelites because um, they have been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years and they've just been, because of their disobedience, their grumbling and their constant complaining to God, God had forbidden them to go into the promised land. A journey that had only supposed to take about four days from where they were into the promised land, it took 40 years. And Ooh, okay. And because of that, uh, they were in the wilderness and Pastor Vincent had preached that they had decided to settle in this mountain called Mount Hebron and they stayed there for a year. And they were already so comfortable, you know, they were like nomads living like one place to another. They have no place to call their own. They're just living from one place to another. And God had told them, I need you to move move out of your comfort zone and possess the land and the promise that I have given to you. And so that was what Pastor Vincent has, had preached. And I'd like to pick up where he had left off then. You know, because I'm going to be talking about the book of Joshua. When the book of Joshua opens, Joshua had a mammoth task ahead of him. He had to take over Moses' leadership and lead the Israelites from the wilderness to the promised land. Because of the disobedience, they're not allowed to go over to the promised land. So he's got huge shoes to fill. You know, he had seen Moses perform miracles that God had done for the Israelites. They have seen how God had given the ten plagues and delivered them from that. And they have seen the parting of the Red Sea. All these amazing, amazing miracles that Joshua had seen and now he's going to take over from the seafood. You know, you feel like it's a mammoth task ahead of you. And you can just imagine Joshua will be just overwhelmed. This is my master. This is my seafood. How am I going to take over from him and take on the legacy of moving God's people from the wilderness to the promised land? So that is where we are today in the book of Joshua chapter 3. And I ask if you can bear with me, we're going to read through this 15 verses together. You know, it's, it's really, I wanted to read through it because I want you to catch the heartbeat of what God is saying. Because it's so important just to note what God's instruction was to the people 
and how the people of God responded to that instruction. Can you please read with me? If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to, this is the new NIV version, chapter 3, verse 1 to chapter 4, verse 1 to 8. And this sets the stage for the passage that I'm talking about where Pastor Vincent was sharing. After they moved from Mount Hebron, this is the time that they were waiting for. They were right before the River Jordan. To cross into the Promised Land, they had to cross the River Jordan. So the book of Joshua chapter 3 opens where he is right with his people, about to cross over to the, river, to the Canaan land. These are exciting, exciting times. Okay, I'm going to read. And you read with me, okay? Chapter 3, it says, Early the next morning, Joshua and all the Israelites left Acacia Grove and arrived at the banks of the Jordan River where they camped before the crossing. Three days later, the Israelite officers went through the camp, giving these instructions to the people. When you see the Levitical priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, move out from your positions and follow them. Since you have never traveled this way before, they will guide you. Stay about half a mile behind them, keeping a clear distance between you and the ark. Make sure you don't come any closer. Then Joshua told the people, Purify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will go do great things among you. In the morning, Joshua said to the priests, Lift up the ark of the covenant and lead the people across the river. And so they started out and went ahead of the people. The Lord told Joshua, Today I will begin to make you a great leader in the eyes of all the Israelites. They will know that I am with you just as I with Moses. Give this command to the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant. When you reach the riverbanks of the Jordan River, take a few steps into the river and stop there. So Joshua told the Israelites, Come and listen to what the Lord your God say. Today you will know that the living God is among you. He will surely drive out the Canaanites, the Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and the Jebusites ahead of you. Look, the Ark of the Covenant, which belongs to the Lord of the whole earth, will lead you across the Jordan River. Now choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. The priests will carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth. As soon as their feet touch the water, the flow of the water will be cut off upstream and the river will stand up like a wall. So the people left their camp to cross the Jordan and the priests who were carrying the ark of the covenant went ahead of them. It was the harvest season and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the ark touched the water of the river's edge, water above that point began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam, which is near Zarethan. And the water below that point flowed on to the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. Then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. Meanwhile, the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant stood on dry ground in the middle of the riverbed as the people passed by. They waited there until the whole nation of Israel had crossed on the, jo the Jordan on dry ground. 
chapter 4. When all the people had crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Now choose twelve men, one from each tribe. Tell them, take twelve stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan. Carry them out and pile them up at the place where you will camp tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had chosen, one from each of the tribes of the Israel. He told them, go into the middle of the Jordan, go in, in front of the ark of the Lord your God. Each of you must pick up one stone and carry it out on your shoulder, twelve stones in all, one for each of the twelve tribes of Israel. We will use the stones to build a memorial. In the future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them. They remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant had went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. So the men did as Joshua had commanded. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan River, one for each tribe, just as the Lord had told Joshua. They carried them to the place where they had camped for the night and constructed the memorial there. Let's pray before we go on. Thank you, Lord. Father, I pray, God, that you will reveal yourself in your word today, that you will speak to every heart, every spirit, O oh God, that needs encouragement, that needs life, that needs to put their trust in you today. So, Father, I pray, O oh God, may your word come to life, O oh God, and may you bear fruit and go forth, O oh Lord, Father, with power and conviction. We thank you, we love you, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So this is what God had given the specific instruction to the Israelites in chapter 3, verse 8. Give this command to the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant. When you reach the banks of the river, take a few steps into the river and stop there. You can imagine the Israelites would not want to mess this up. They would listen to the instruction ever so intently and so closely because they've been waiting all their lives to go into the promised land. They have heard stories about it from their father, from the generation before their grandfathers, but they have never seen it happen. And now, can you imagine the kanchongness, the anxiety that is before them they're standing right in front of River Jordan, about to cross over. And I bet you they will follow the instruction to the T. What did God say specifically? Let's not mess this one up, guys. What did God say? God said, "Walk when you reach the banks of the Jordan River, take a few steps in there and stop. Do you think they would have followed what God has said? Yeah. They would have followed it to the T. And can you imagine what they would be feeling? Maybe there is, I would say, 5% excitement, you know, because they've been waiting for this all their lives. 5% excitement. But I would think 95% of that is anxiety, is fear, they're trying to shut out every doubt, every thought that may think, is this really going to happen? Are we really crossing the River Jordan? Are we really going to go into the Promised Land? They're going to be shutting out every thought, every hesitation. 
they have. Why? Because of what they see ahead of them. Because of what they see ahead of them. Dear the River Jordan in this season where they were crossing was not the little river in your kampung. It is not a little river in, when you go to the waterfalls in Malaysia. It is harvest season, meaning that there is a whole body of water just rushing and just roaring down this river. It is a mountainous monster, monster of water just rushing through the River Jordan. And if you were to go over, it's literally suicide. Nobody ever walks through the River Jordan in this season because it will overflow its banks and it will be flooding the entire place around it. And it's just a monstrous river. Nobody goes through this. And besides the water, it is freezing temperatures. It says that Coldest it could be is 7 degrees. Zero is freezing. Coldest it could be is 7 degrees. Even in the warmest speculation, is 17. It is still mighty cold. And can you imagine with so much body of water gushing down, there will be wind chills. You will be cold, be rushing water, and crossing over will seem impossible. Even the if, and this is just one obstacle, even if they do manage to cross over River Jordan, they were going to go in to possess Canaan land. It is the promised land that is given to them by God. But do you know that even their generation before, the forefathers were afraid of the Canaanites? Why? Because do you remember the story about David and Goliath? Goliath was a giant. Giants were descendants of a people group called the Anak, and they are from a Nephilim tribe. And they were literally giants. They were people of giants. Can you imagine an army of giants? They were going to go and conquer a land filled with giants. And they only have 40,000 strong men in the military. They are outnumbered and they are outsized. These, not only if they finish, if they do conquer Canaan, there are other great ancient civilizations across the river that they had to conquer to be able to possess the land that was before them. Now, can you see and imagine the fear? The anxiety, the anticipation, the insecurity, the doubts that they had as they stand at the riverbank, wondering what will happen. Should we even step into that river? It is a suicidal mission. And that, but what did God's instruction say to them? God said, when you reach the river banks of Jordan River, take a few steps into the river and stop there. But do you know in actual reality what actually happened? God said, step into the river, keep walking, and you stop. 
But when you read verse 8, it says, The moment the, Levi the Levite's sole of his feet touches the edge of the water, God had already stopped the water from flowing from upstream in a town called Adam. The moment they stepped out in faith and obedience, just the sole of their feet merely touching the water's surface, the miracle had already happened upstream in a town called Adam. They just had to step out and touch the water. As soon as the sole of their feet touched the water, the miracle had already happened. No, the Word of God said that God had piled up the water in a town called Adam in the heap. Where they were was a place called Acacia. Now, who can guess from Acacia to Adam, there is a map, Chris, on the, on the PowerPoint. How many of you can guess correctly from Adam to Acacia? How many kilometers is that? If you can see Adam, which is right underneath River Jabbok, and Acacia is where number one is at, where Abel Shittim, that's where they are, about to cross the River Jordan to Adam. For the correct answer, I have a Whittaker's Almond Gold Chocolate Bar. Okay? So, I'll take two answers from here and two answers from here. Okay, if you have the right answer, you will get a Whittaker's Almond Bar. Okay? So, I had to buy one and eat one myself before I gave you, okay? Because <laughs> I couldn't resist it. So, any guesses from here? 18? No. More. 30? Close. Okay, let's come back here. 30 is close. Anyone from here? Wesley, you give it a try? You had, something, you had a number in mind? 38? Hey, you Google is it. Wow. Okay, Sean's right. It's 38 kilometers away. Wow, good job. <laughs> it now belongs to Pastor Karen. <laughs> so, Acacia and Adam, it's 38 kilometers away. Can you, so, I had tried to Google map from Glad Tidings to almost KLIA. KLIA is 60 kilometers from, from, uh, from Glad Tidings. But you can you imagine a little, a little bit further down from KLIA. Now, my question is this. If you are in Glad Tidings and there is a body of water that's being heaped up in a wall in KLIA, are you able to see it? No. No. 38 kilometers away, you wouldn't have been able to see the water that is being heaped up in a wall that is in the town of Adam. The moment the sole of the feet touched the water surface, the miracle had happened 38 kilometers away, but they would never know. They didn't see it. That means for the time for the water to even slacken or even to reduce, they had to keep standing there and just waiting. They didn't know that the miracle had already happened. 
they didn't see it happen. For it to even come down, the water to slacken, maybe it'll take half an hour, maybe 45 minutes. But can you imagine the Levites will be standing in the water? They'll be holding the Ark of the Covenant, which is representing the presence of God. And usually they're in their priestly robes, looking most presentable, you know, and the water will be freezing and the, water, the, the, the ground, the riverbed will not be flat, but there will be many stones and pebbles on the ground. And they're trying to hold their position and the currents are raging and they're trying to, to just hold their position and not fall over. Maybe they slipped and they're just trying to hold it together. Two minutes pass by. Five minutes pass by. Ten minutes pass by. What do you think their thoughts were? Is God kidding us? Is He really going to come through? What would your thoughts be being in the Levite's position? Standing there waiting for God. But you know, the Word of God tells, tells us the moment their feet touched the surface of the water, it had already, the miracle had already happened. A lot of times, in reality, when God is working in the background of our situation, when we pray for something, when we trust God for something, when we step out in obedience, sometimes we see nothing's changed. But you need to know, and the message to you today, is that the moment you have even stepped out in faith, that the miracle had already happened. And don't give up. Had, they, had the Levites given up and said, forget it, I look like a mess, I look like a joke, let's get back to the, to the, to the, to the shore. Why, why are we doing this? We've been here 10 minutes, I'm going to be killed, the river's going to kill me, the current's, the current's going to sweep me away. They could have easily turned back and said, forget it. How about the people at the, at the other side? The Israelites are just standing there waiting and watching. What happened? They just stand inside. Is it, was it, was it happened? Or they stand in the river? Or then after that, what happened? Or nothing? Or is it 10 minutes later? Is it what happened? What happened? Nothing? You mean they're just still standing there? Yeah, yeah. They, they're just standing there. What are they doing? Just trying to hold the up. Oh, nothing happened? Nothing. 20 minutes later, hey, is this, is this real? Uh? Is this going to happen? Is it? Are we gonna, really going to cross over? Is this happening? Doubt settles in. Everything that you feel and touch and see goes against everything that you believe in. And what do you do in those moments? Many times, God is working in the background of situation and as soon as we had just stepped into the water in obedience, the miracle had already happened. You know, I shared earlier that nine years ago that I had made a personal decision to go full-time and acknowledge my full-time call and go full-time. When I went in, I really didn't know what was going to happen. I really didn't know. I was a young adult who had just graduated. I was working for two years in a PR firm and Roger and I was just dating then. I really didn't know what was going to happen. I really didn't know if he was going to marry me. Who wants to marry a full-timer? 
I don't think he signed up for that, you know. It's not easy being a, a full-time spouse. I would know now because I'm married to one. <laughs> you know, it's... <laughs> yeah, I didn't know what was ahead of me. It was a very difficult time because so many things had changed. I didn't know what to expect. But I want to thank God for a husband that has been my best friend, that has always been so God-fearing and honours God in everything that he does, that he's my number one cheerleader, you know, and really, <laughs> you know, I am, I'm very proud of the man that he is, you know, um, Pastor Danny, it's all your fault, yeah. <laughs> I'm very proud of the man that he is, and I really thank God for bringing him into my life. For I, I am very honoured and privileged to be his wife, and um, I don't say it enough. Um, so I'm very grateful for this gift that God has given me in this journey of faith in, as, we, as we go on full-time. You know, so when I first, nine years ago, I really didn't know what I signed up for when I went full-time ministry because... After I went full-time, we got married, and then I unexpectedly got pregnant. You know, I, was, I remember the feeling when I was in the toilet, and I had the pregnancy test kit in my hand, and then I freaked out and I cried. Then I straight away ran to my car, I went to the pharmacy, I bought three more test kits. Then I went back to my room, my bathroom, and I tested all the, three the test kits, and I laid it all on my table, and I told Roger, I'm pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> yes, four times over it tells me <laughs> I am pregnant. And I didn't expect to be, can you, because I didn't expect to be because we had just gotten married. That means we had spent our savings on our wedding and whatever surplus that we had for our, from our wedding dinner, it was for future plans. And I was still studying in Bible school. I still had one year and a bit, yeah, one more year to go before I graduate, how am I going to be a wife? How am I going to be a mother, a first-time mother? And how am I going to finish Bible school? But God had been working in the background and has orchestrated so many miracles in my life that I stand here today, nine years. Not only did God see me through one child, two child, I have three girls. And a year and a, a year a year and a half ago, we took another step and leap of faith to release Roger into full-time ministry. And we are on this exciting, exciting journey where we're living by faith and seeing God fulfill that call in our lives. And it, God has been so tremendously faithful and amazing. And I, to, I told myself, I will tell that story one day uh, when we have finished this stretch because there's so many to tell and I don't want to tell ahead of time. I also don't want to steal sermon material from him, you know. Because it's his, it's his call, you know, and his uh, what, and all. And I didn't, it, it is his right to tell. Thank you, Pastor Gwen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I... I want to send you today boasting of God's faithfulness, boasting and reflecting God's goodness. Because not only has He seen me through three kids 
And there is not a day that my, my kids or I had gone hungry. Not a day had I been, feel that I have deprived. My children are so blessed. You know, in the last holiday, just two weeks, they were able to go Malacca, PD, Singapore twice. Well, I was here in ministry, you know, with their grandparents, and they are not deprived at all, and they are so well taken care of, and God has provided for us every single season and step of the way. The moment we step out in faith, in obedience, the miracle has already happened. And my message to you today is to know, I need you to know, don't give up that fight. Don't Give up that fight. If you walk away now, if the Israelites, the Levites had walked away, they would never see the miracle that God had already done. If they had walked away, they would never have seen it or experienced it. And the next chapter in chapter 4 is equally significant because it talked about what they did after. You would think that the moment they cross over, they're ready for battle, they put on the battle shields and all their armors and they're just roaring and ready to go for battle but the first order of business the moment they crossed over was this god told them go back to the river jordan go back to the river jordan where the riverbed is dry and they had to live through that miracle again walk to that miracle take up a stone and make a marker make a milestone to remember and commemorate God's goodness and faithfulness. That was the first order of business. The moment they crossed over, not that they don't have the right to party, not that they don't have the right to celebrate the victory God had given them, but God had told them to go back to that place, pick up a stone. And that stone wasn't just a pebble. God said that it had, they had to carry it over their shoulder and to make a memorial. It wasn't just a pebble. So many times in our lives, it's not that God doesn't allow us to have to celebrate our victories. So not that God doesn't want us to be happy and rejoice over it. But we need to know that when we come away from our miracle and victory, we have to remember God and honor Him. How many of us remember the milestones of our lives and set up a marker, a lasting impact that will carry throughout what we do today? In moments of pain, in moments of grief, in moments of desperation, it's so easy to come to God and say, God, I need you. But we should come to God in the same intensity when we have won when we have those victories in our lives. We should have a marker in our lives and build a memorial to commemorate and honour God in our lives. I'm not asking you to go home now and to bring a stone and build an altar in your house. You know, please don't do that. I'm asking us today to build a habit of a habit or build something that will remember God, that one day your children, the generation in this congregation after, will ask and be able to see God's goodness. 
It could be maybe a habit of praying together as a family with your children before you sleep and thanking God for every blessing that God has given you in your life. Every night before bedtime, as your children, God, and they thank God for everything in their lives, that will carry through for the rest of their lives a spirit of gratitude and thanksgiving to God. I'll close with this last anecdote where three years ago, I went on a mission trip to Sri Lanka and, um, and Sam, my second daughter, was only 10 months old and I had just weaned her off breastfeeding. But I felt compelled to go to Sri Lanka and I, I told Roger about it because I, I just had a baby and I did, wasn't sure if I should go and if, if he would allow me. And I asked him, and he said, he straight away, Sarah, if you feel that God is prompting you, you just go and I release you. And I, and I took that as a yes. And so we went on this missions trip. As a, as a team leader, I had to be a team leader, meaning that I am the coordinator to a nation country that I've never been before. So it's really a daunting task. And so when I went there, um, as a team leader, I have this privilege of choosing who does which sessions, you know? So if I can, if I want to, I can excuse myself from all the big things, you know, like healing rallies, oh, Brother Michael Tang, please go take over, you know? And then maybe I can do the children or, you know, other, other uh, sessions, you know? Um, so, but there was one night, uh, one of the ministry events that we had to do was to go to a family camp. And at family camp, we are ministering only on the last night. And those of you who have been to camps before, you know the last night is the most powerful encounter. The last night is where God saints everybody and they have, you know, <laughs> you know, when everybody gets an encounter from God and they come away, you know, refreshed and the most powerful. So in my mind, I am the team leader. The only the person, the only four people on the team, it was me, Brother Michael Tang, which is our missions director, our veteran missions director, and uh, Zeeling, if you're here, and Eveline, you know, only four of us. And I thought to myself, of course, the last night should go to Brother Michael Tang. He should do it, you know. But the whole night, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't sleep at all because God was just telling, laying this message in my heart, and I didn't want to do it. You know, and I was so disobedient. I was like, God, how can I do this? I don't want to do this, you know. So the whole night, I couldn't sleep. So in the morning, I was so restless, all tired. And I'm like, I told Brother Michael. And I said, um, Brother Michael, I'm sorry. I'm wondering if you're okay if, if I take the session today instead. Can you imagine me? I will never do that, okay. Those who know me, I would never say, oh, why don't I, I preach today? You don't have to preach. Let me take that slot, you know. That will be something I will... That is something I will never do, okay? So, uh, it must be God. So I told, the reason why I'm reluctant is this. Because God had laid in my heart the message about servanthood spirit. About serving God with a servanthood spirit. And we was, it was to end with foot washing. Where God had placed in my heart that they would wash the feet, each other's feet as part of demonstrating servanthood spirit. The problem is this. In Sri Lanka, women have no regard or position. They have very little regard for women and your opinion. And so for me to stand up there and I had to constantly tell them, I know I look young, but I'm not young. I have two children, you know, because 
They would, they would think, who is this little girl talking to us like she knows life? For goodness sake, please take her away, you know? Because I really didn't want to be there, you know? But firstly, I'm a woman and they have no regard or respect for women and, or very little. And second thing is that you want them to wash feet. Um, they are very conscious of social economic status. Man, where not only I'm not able to touch like the shoulder of the pastor, you know, if you are of a different class, cannot touch lah. You know, you, I mean, like they're very rigid in their social, um, what do you call it? Uh, social. Bleh. Yeah, yeah, there's a caste system, you know. So I was very, very reluctant to do it. And so what happened was, so I told Brother Michael, very reluctantly that, oh, Michael, if it's okay with you, I think I will take the slot this morning. And he's like, yeah, please, go, go ahead and do it. He was just sitting back and just very happy, relaxing in the back of the congregation. <laughs> you, know? you know, I think he was just sitting there like, you know, let's see what she can do, you know, like, <laughs> you know, but no, no, serious. She was, he was very, very supportive and I really thank God for him because he has been such a support and a, a great giant of faith that I could lean on in that trip. I was I'm so grateful for him. And so I took on the trip and I, that, that sermon and I decided, God, if this is what you have placed in my heart, I'm just going to preach everything out and I'm just going to step in obedience. Nobody knows me in Sri Lanka anyway, so it doesn't matter. I'm just going to go out there and give it all my all. And so I did. And when I did, I asked the, the people to bring in the wash basins and God prompted me, the first person to do it was that the senior pastor was to wash the Bible school students' feet. Bible school student was the minister in that church. There were two of them. And this is unheard of. And so the pastor washed the feet of the Bible school student. And the whole time, the Bible school student was just sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. And I was sobbing and sobbing, and sobbing. <laughs> and then the whole church was sobbing, and sobbing, and sobbing. And then I felt God prompt me that not only must the senior pastor wash the feet of the Bible school students, he is to wash the feet of the leaders of those church. And I think there were five in all. And they came forward, and they washed. And there was just a flood of tears. A flood of tears of which I don't understand. And then... I opened it up to the congregation. I said, if you feel led to wash someone's feet today, I want to encourage you. If you want to wash your wife's feet, you want to wash your sister's feet, you wash your mother's feet, you feel prompted to bring someone up here and wash the feet to exemplify a servanthood spirit, you do that. And the last thing I know is that everyone started coming up, taking turns, crying and sobbing and just washing each other's feet. And I just stood back in, at the back of the hall, just in awe and in tears of what God had done. And I went away to bed that day and just still in shock of what had happened. And the next morning, the Bible school student's uh, wife came up to me and then he, she said to me, I don't think you know what you had done. I said, I didn't do anything, it is God. And I wanted her to be sure of that. I told her, it's nothing about me. It's what God wanted to do in your church. And she said that this church was about to go into a, a division. They were about to split the church into two because 
a lot of things had happened and a lot of hurtful things have been said and all, a lot of allegations has been thrown out and this church was going to be split. And they were after today's meeting, it was going to be their last meeting and they're going to part ways in this church. And what, I, what God had did had brought healing and reconciliation in this church. And what, then this lady was so in awe of what God had done that every time I'm on Facebook, she tries to message me and talk to me. And then last I spoke to her, she had a year after, she told me that not only the church is still in one, the church decided, has grown and doubled in numbers. That is what God has done and what, is, what God is doing. So where am I going with this? Where am I going with this? The best way to continue walking in victory is to honour God in our victories. I had told Roger since that incident that I want to go back into the missions field because every time I go back to the missions field, God reminds me of what He had done. And I want to continue doing that in honour of Him. We have very frequent conversations about doing missions together. Once He graduates, we want to go to missions together. We want to bring our children to missions together. We need to build memorials in our lives, in our families, to remember God's goodness. And it's not something small and insignificant. It needs to be a boulder that you can hold, put over your shoulder. Something significant that reminds you of God's goodness and faithfulness. You know, when I was preparing for this message, I had the end in mind and I had to work my way backwards. In the end I saw were two groups of people. And the first group of people were like the Levites holding the Ark of the Covenant in the river. Your legs were knee deep into the current. It threatens to sweep you off your feet. And you're trying so hard to stand your position and holding on to the presence of God and holding on to God and you are losing your balance and you're trying to go forward and you're trying to stay in position but the currents are so strong and you are thinking to God, God, when is my miracle coming? How long do I have to be here? And you're just waiting for God to see you through that season. The God wants you to know that the miracle had already happened. The miracle had already happened. Hold on. Stand your position. Don't throw in that towel. Don't walk away. Because if you do, you will never see the miracle of God come to pass. Don't give up. Whatever season that you're going through in your life, whether you are coming into parenthood, whether you had just married, whatever it is, maybe you just taken a new job offer, whatever it is in the season ahead of you that God has promised you that you have to take hold and possess the land that is ahead of you. 
Don't give up. Don't give in. The second of group of people that I saw needed to hear the message today is that you need to build that marker in your life. You have experienced God's goodness in your life. You have experienced God's victory in your life. But you need to know the only way to sustain God's victory in your life is to remember and honour Him in every victory. In every victory, you need to remember and commemorate God and honour Him in every single victory to sustain you through what's ahead. No matter how great the giants are, no matter how great the ancient civilization empires are, do you know in the book of Joshua, so long as they listened and followed God's instructions, they won every battle. They were the underdogs in every fight, but they won every battle. The moment they turned away from God and turned to their own ways, tragedy befell them. Two groups of people today, and as the worship team leads us, I want you to think about what God has said today. Are you in that place where you are like the Levites? Just trying to hang on, trying to stay on. You need to know that God is with you. Second group of people, you need to build that memorial. You need that marker and that milestone in your life to remember and commemorate God's goodness. To sustain you through the season ahead. And as the worship team leads us in this song, I'm going to ask for you to be bold. And just like the Levites who took that step of faith to step out to the water, I'm going to ask you to prophetically stand up and step out to the altar. You knew, if you know you need to be here today and say, God, I need you. God, I'm going to build that memorial and honour you in all that I do in every victory. You need to come to this place that God is tugging your heart and your spirit right now. If that is you, I want to invite you to come to the altar. The pastors, the ministers and leaders would love to pray and stand with you in this season. And as the worship team leads us, I invite you forward.